while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign of heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Father, I just thank you again for this opportunity to speak the word of God uh, that you've given to me. And I just, I can't stress enough the, just the, uh, just the, the weight of this opportunity. And again, I thank this church, and I thank this church body. I thank Pastor Mike uh, for this opportunity. And I thank you, most of all, for giving us, giving the chance and to, uh, to speak your word. And Father, I ask that I don't do this by myself. I don't do this with, uh, with an idea that I have a word. No, God, you have a word uh, for these people. And you have a word for anyone who's listening, um, not just to my words, but through your holy word and via the Holy Spirit. And I just, again, am so thankful for your salvation um, that you've given us through your Son, in your son's name we pray. Amen. I don't think that there's any doubt that we can believe the wrong thing. You know, for the longest time, I actually thought, you know, there's that piece of furniture that comes up about shoulder or chest high, um, you know, has several drawers in it. I always thought for the longest time that that was a Chester drawer, okay? Kind of like the name Chester or Chester Cheetah or whatever. I always thought it was Chester drawers. I realized after a while, longer than I'd like to admit, like maybe a couple years ago, that it was a chest of drawers. Yeah. Um, that's not exactly a bad idea, right? It's just something wrong, right? But some ideas, some wrong ideas, have much more disastrous consequences. You may believe that you can speed down the road, going down the highway at, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour and waiting for a cop to come. You may believe you can do that any day. You may believe that you can talk back to your boss. None of those are good ideas. You know, if you're speeding down the road, you may end up having a traffic ticket. You may end up being, if you are belligerent enough, you may end up being arrested. If you talk back to your boss, what's going to happen? It's probably not going to be a good day, and you may be out on the unemployment line. Um, but either way, you either are going to have to look for a new vantage point for your ideas, or you're just going to go through life and not realize that 
you know what, there's these lessons that you need to learn um, and God gives you. And, you know, if you don't learn that, it may or may not prove disastrous. And there's other times that we believe that we can be neutral. We can believe that, you know, it doesn't matter what we believe. We can believe that, okay, we don't need to, we can just put our heads in the sand. We can say, I don't care what anybody says around me. I can believe that nothing's going to bother me. And the problem with that is that's still a belief at the end of the day. You're still willfully, or maybe not willfully, actually saying, I'm going to put my head in the sand. You know, even if you believe or say you believe in nothing, you still, at the end of the day, believe in something. I've heard it said plenty of times that everybody has a theology. No matter what you believe, everybody believes in some kind of God, whether that is, or believes in no God, whether it's atheism, whether it's agnosticism. You believe in something, and you have that worldview. Um, even if you believe in nothing, you're essentially saying, I, you know what? This is what I'm going to align myself with. Nothingness. Of course, we see it in this passage that if you believe that you either leave a, lead a clean life or you believe in the wrong idea, as these people did, that they believed that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub, by essentially Satan or the prince of demons, you know, you're going to go to hell. You know, you can have opinions and thoughts, you can have these ideas, but at the end of the day, if it's not grounded in the one truth of the gospel, it's going to be useless to us. It's going to be useless, and it's going to be ultimately deadly. You know, again, there's all these beliefs that do not, at the end of the day, matter, this, matter in eternity. But this one belief, especially with this belief that Jesus was of Satan, um, it is to a point where you, if you believe that, you would go to hell. But in the gospel of Christ that we know of, we find that the foundation we need and the completeness of the worldview that we have is going, it is correct. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 states, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and on those on earth, and of under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, to the glory of the Father. So if you look at this part in Luke, you see that Jesus is already in the process of going uh, towards Jerusalem from Galilee. You know, he's already gotten his band of disciples, and he's, he's been teaching and healing. People know exactly what Jesus has been doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been following him. They've already, he's already fed the 5,000 at this point. He's, he's gotten a crowd. He's already taught his disciples how to pray and give good gifts. He's already done miracles upon miracles. And now he comes to the point where he's casting out a demon. Um, and of course, naturally, this is as good a part as any to actually do that. 
And just to get an idea of this demon, you know, what is a demon? What is demonic possession? You know, demons, of course, are created beings. They are, they, they are I don't want to say things, but they are created beings that come under judgment. Uh, Jude 6 says, the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandon their, they are angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandon their proper dwelling, that he is kept in darkness bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. Second Peter 2 also says something very similar. So as created beings, they are limited in power and scope from God from the get-go. They can't do something that God hasn't already given them the power and the right to do. You remember that in Job, Satan had to ask God, can I do this, essentially? And God had to give him that permission um, they, granted, there's a lot of leeway there, but they are still created beings. And so demons, especially if you look at the New Testament, seem to have to have, and this is kind of important in this passage, they seem to have to have some kind of host in order to do their best work. You know, they do a number of different things to people, from making people wear no clothes, making people live near tombs, say in Luke 8. People have had unusual strength due to what demons have done, say in Mark 5. Um, and, of course, in later on in this passage, you see we're talking about waterless places and gathering even more demons. They come in number. They have strength in number. You know, I, I also want to note here that just because this man was mute, we see here it was because of a demon, but just because there's an illness doesn't mean that there is a demon or demonic possession, right? I just want to make that clear. You know, illness comes from our fallen state. Um, not that demons can't cause that, but they cause illness, they cause problems. Um, so here you have Beelzebub, right, being discussed by the people. This term was used as kind of another term for Satan, and it literally refers to the Lord of Flies, the Lord of Dung. Um, honestly, it's probably a really good way to talk about Satan, somebody who is the dominion or the person who has dominion over stuff that we really do not want to talk about or handle, something that's contemptible. And especially as Jewish people who are cleansed, who want to keep cleansed, they want to make sure that, that this is about as contemptible as you can get. And so this miracle happens and they are trying to find a way in their minds to reconcile it. They know that the, the Jewish people here, especially you know, with the Pharisees, um, they're trying to find ways to reconcile in their minds how this actually has occurred. They know miracles happen. They see people doing things. I mean, they see Jesus doing things. But they, they, they're just still trying to figure this out. And so in this miracle, and of course this is a miracle that happens, this demon that comes out of this man, and it's interesting that this man's not the focus of this, of this parable, of this uh, passage. Um, there's three things that happen. The first group, essentially, if you look at uh, verse 15, the, the clear one says, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, of course, the second group says, they keep seeking a sign from him in heaven. You know, and later on it goes in, these are the people that are asking for the sign, and Jesus gives them the sign of Jonah, saying, you know, Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. 
Um, the third group, and these are the people that are disciples, are the ones that you know, keep following him. They know. They know this is the real person to follow. Um, let's take a little bit closer look at that first group, though. This, the people that said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Um, they've heard the signs. They know exactly what has happened before. And like I said, they're trying to discredit him. They're trying to get to the point of this did not happen because God let it happen. They don't want to credit God for this. And so the easiest way to do that to them is to say that he is casting out demons by being demonic himself. You know, we, and, ju- and before we judge this too, this is something we do all the time. We have times that we try to judge something from our experience and we try to say, this is not correct. This doesn't make sense in our minds. And so this is what, this is what the Pharisees do. Now, our motives are different. It says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts in verse 17, he knows what they're trying to get at. He knows they're trying to discredit what he is, who he is. Um, it's not the issue that they have, they're trying to figure this out. It's they know and they're trying to say that Jesus is not from God. Um, and Jesus goes ahead and says one point that's very valid. He says, if there's division or desire to divide, there's not strength in that division or in those places. Even Satan himself does not want to divide people. Think about that for a minute. Satan does, when I say people, he doesn't want to divide his minions and his legion. Because he knows that if he has demons that are against other demons or demons against what he's trying to do, the whole thing falls apart. Satan requires, in fact, demands full allegiance to those who want and do believe in him. He sows division among everybody else. I mean, he has no problem sowing division in, especially in this passage with people, um, and he wants to make sure that people don't believe in God, but even Satan knows that having a divided mission is a really terrible idea. And so Jesus is saying, why in the world, in verse 17 says, every kingdom divided against itself was laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. He's saying, look, you can't say that you're going to divide and actually have a right mission. And Jesus, I'm honestly surprised, I shouldn't be, but it seems like Jesus has this restraint here that says these people are literally calling Jesus out for working good in the name of Satan. Imagine the restraint. I mean, if, if somebody told me that I was doing work of Satan or tells you that you're doing the work of Satan, you're not going to be in the best state of mind. And the fact that Jesus is even coming to this point, he's saying, I mean, he, he, he gives a sharp criticism here. To whom your sons cast them out in verse 19, therefore they will be your judges. 
it just seems like that, yeah, it's a strong criticism, but Jesus is showing his perfect power and his restraint. He's saying, ultimately, he's showing his true power here. Because he's going in and saying, um, look, if you say this, and if it's interesting that they are saying that these demons, you know, you're casting out demons, why would why would they see this, you know, the, the fact that they're casting out demons too, and not see that false argument in saying, well, we cast out demons and we're not saying we're doing it from Satan. Jesus also shows later on here that it's his ultimate true power. He goes on with following this in a parable. When a strong man fully armed, in verse 21, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. That strong arm, that strong man fully armed, this is, this is Satan we're talking about. He guards his own palace, his goods are safe, everything is okay. But then one stronger than him, one stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he is trusted and divides his spoil. Um... Jesus is, praise God, the one who is stronger than that man. He shows that he can defeat all evil. He shows that he, there's no need to rely on a house that's willing to divide himself. If you're on that wrong idea, if you have that wrong idea, just like these people had the wrong idea of casting out demons, uh, that Jesus is basically the prince of demons, um, you're in that wrong side, and you're not with the person who can clearly be stronger than the person who's fully stronger than the person who's fully armed, going against going against Jesus. You know, it's it's not something that's going to win. Um, and just to keep in mind, this is also a place that was given to Satan in the first place. Jesus' last statement here in, the, in this part to them is very clear about two things. The, the statement in verse 20, um, 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You know, his, his clarity here is, number one, there's only one place to be, and that is with him. He has to be first, and you have to be with him. You have to believe in the idea that you are going to be with the God who is first and foremost, sending his, or has sent his son to die on the cross, raised, raised up from that death. Um, so he says, whoever is with me in the first part. The second part being, whoever does not gather with me scatters. You know, we typically feel good about ourselves thinking that, with just the idea that we are sinners in need of a Savior. I think all of us can say, yes, we're sinners, we're in need of a Savior. But we have a much harder time knowing that we need to be gathering or working with our Savior. Um, but that is the full picture of the correct idea of the gospel. It's not just the belief that sits back here in the back of your mind that you can just 
take out whenever you want to is something that is guided by the Holy Spirit. It's something that touches everything that you touch, everything that you that comes in contact with you. It's the idea that it comes out, you know, it, you're, you're given it and it just overflows everything. And then Jesus, after this, talks about the unclean spirit. And we don't know if this is connected to uh, the, the idea of the casting out of the demon that was mute. We don't know if it's, if it's related to this man. We don't know if it's related to uh, just another example. But he expounds on the fact that demons desire to take somebody over. You know, I mentioned earlier that demons have this, you know, they want to take somebody over. They want to get to a place that can use their work, I mean, that they can work in. And what better way to work in than to find somebody who is able to be commandeered? Um, they're restless creatures, and they're looking for something and someone to devour. You know, just as Cain was told that sin is crouching at your door, you know, Jesus says that demons are looking for the right places and the right environments to thrive. And again, what better person than somebody who thinks their house is clean and then they realize that they get this demonic activity even worse than before coming into them. And ultimately, people, this is where people find themselves the most vulnerable. I mean, again, demons realize an easy target. Temptation, not just demons, realize an easy target. Um, and demons, of course, want to bring their friends to that. Temptation wants to come and devour you when they realize that it's an easy target. If you're being an easy target to that, if you're not ultimately in the word, in the in with God or with Jesus, being with him and gathering with him, you're ultimately going to have that struggle. Um, Jesus did come up with a solution to this, though. You know, don't leave your house empty. I mean, you can have the wrong ideas just as these, this group that says he cast out demons by Beelzebub. You can have that idea and fill your mind up with that but that's still not going to get you where you need to be. You know, the biggest concern here for this unclean, this person that had the unclean spirit is that they think their house is clean. They think everything is good, and they can live their lives without interference. Uh, but the problem is they don't have this person that is stronger than the devil to come in, and they're not filling themselves up with that. And so they get this 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 demonic activity where they're saying look we're going to come in and make this even worse than before um i gotta ask you do you believe that your house and, and i'm not saying that any of us are demon possessed but we have temptations we get struggles i mean do you believe that your house is completely clean and you do you leave it with nothing in it do you think that you don't need something to fill your temple and your house because clearly Jesus here knew that if you tried to do that, you would be susceptible and you would have these, you would have this group of demons or temptations coming against you. There is a huge danger, even for us that a professed belief in Christ, to think that we just need to profess Jesus Christ as our Savior 
and of our lives and not be transformed by the power of Christ. You know, that's, that's just false insurance for believing that, okay, Jesus, I, I believe that you're not the son of Satan. I got that far. I've cleaned up my life. But what have you filled it with? Have you really taken the time to fill your life with what Christ has to offer? And of course, we know that ultimately the answer to this is filling ourselves with what Christ has and the Holy Spirit that he has given us. Jesus, again, is very clear about that fact, especially in verse 23. Whoever is not with me, and it's, this is a challenge here. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's clear later on in his ministry where he mentions that I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. You know, that whole idea of working, and I'm going to work through you in John 15. The Great Commission is a good example, too, where he says, as you go, make disciples just not something that is easy to do easy to believe but it's not easy to do is it worth it though of course it's worth it the joy of knowing that every problem and (laughs) this is 2020 we have so many different problems we can't even keep track of them um you've got i know that this morning when we had sunday school we, we were talking about the fires we're talking about pain suffering people who are without homes You've got this virus going around. Um, You've got so many more problems. And ultimately, the only way that they're taken care of is through the cross. And I hope that's an amazing weight off of your shoulders. Not Not the pain and suffering, but the fact that this is the hope that we have. That we can fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit. And that we know that we have the right person who can take care of every single one of our problems it is an amazing joy but how how is this accomplished how do we combat the wrong ideas and how do we gather for christ well the first thing is of course we can't push these ideas on people we can't just say i'm going to hit you upside the head with a bible until you believe it doesn't work that way it'd be easy if it did but it doesn't work that way you tell people, and it is, it is not your job to force that on that person. Jesus didn't try to do that here. He pointed his case out. He said, look, I, don't, I'm, I can't be a prince of demons. If I was a prince of demons, then how? there's no sense in that. It doesn't make any sense. He pointed that out. And so we should do the same thing. Be the light in a place that wants to shield the darkness. You know, when you actually have the light coming in, you've got this darkness, the first thing you want to do is shield yourself. And that's what people want to do. They don't want to see that light. That's what we need to be. And again, not forcing it on people. But be full enough to actually have that light come out of us. The second thing is we've got to have our spiritual armor to the point where we know when we are possibly going to go astray. Because if we do that, we know we have such a tight and close relationship with God, we know that this piece right here, this temptation, or this calling, is going to take us away from what God really has called us to do. Um, and the last thing is we need to have that mindset that we must be full at all times. 
you know, we can't believe that we are immune to the pressures of what this world gives us. As a believing Christian, yes, you have salvation, you are saved, and you are not going to lose that salvation. But it does not mean that you're not going to succumb to temptations and trials. You must always keep yourself where you're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit and believe that, you know what, God, I've got to turn myself over to you. God wants that brokenness. He wants the ability for you to come to him and say, I can't handle this on my own. I'm done. Take the time to fully commit to him. It may mean you've got to alter your schedule. It may mean that you're totally broken down. And you say, God, I, I cannot do this. I can't tell you how many times I have that on, on a daily basis where I say, God, I cannot do this. And you know what? You'd be absolutely correct. You can't do this. Um, this is what's desired for God, that you would have complete trust in him. If Satan himself knows that he should not divide, why in the world would we think we need to do things that are against the gospel of Christ? If you don't believe, realize you're missing the greatest feeling of joy that you'll ever know. And again, I'm not saying that you're going to be demon-possessed. I'm not saying that there will never be happiness. In fact, the opposite typically happens where you know, you are called to be persecuted because you are a Christian. What I am saying is there's only one, there's only one salvation, the only true place, with the one that asks us and says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever is not gathering with me scatters. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you for being able again to come tonight, and I ask that this scripture, this, this ability to come with, um, that, that we don't take this lightly, that we continue to gather with you, that we don't scatter, uh, that, Father, we ultimately realize that we have to be filled with your Spirit, filled with what you have for us on a minute-to-minute, moment-by-moment basis. If we don't, then, Father, we ultimately fail, and we have to come to you and realize that. And I just ask that we do that. And if there's anyone that has to come to that realization, either if they don't believe or if they do believe in you, and realize, God, I have not been with you, and I've been against everything that you've called me to be, then, Father, I ask that you prick their heart, that you let them realize that, and that they gather more and more each day, each moment. I ask for brokenness. Father, I'm just so grateful that you use us every single moment if we're allowing us to be used. In your son's name we pray. Amen.